Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello again, everyone. Charles Marshall here with Phil Padalo here on the Neil Garfield Show. Today is January 31st, 2019, live here in San Diego. And good afternoon for those of you on the West Coast, and good evening for those of you back East. And I know for those of you in the Midwest, There are some major uh, issues with super cold weather. I I know about those well, but I won't digress so that we can get uh, into the important issues that Bill is going to be discussing on the show today. As always, this show is brought to you by the Neil Garfield Firm, Angar, Living Lies, and LendingLies.com. And as always, uh, Neil appreciates any amount that you're able to donate in connection with this program, and you can donate directly on his blog by going to www.LivingLies.com. Bill, so... One of the things we're talking about today on the show is in connection with, I I won't call it our our old friend, but uh, something we've revisited a few times, the LSF9 Master Participation Trust. And there's some interesting angles to, to, to this that you have, I would say, uh, parsed out in a recent uh, blog that you did uh, on your own website and tell the listeners about that. Well, uh, thanks, Charles. Good to be back as always. Um, yeah, I posted this article yesterday. I Obviously, I uh, read all the articles and the posts that come out through Neil and, and uh, the blog here. And um, This past week, there was a number of article posts um, uh, along a good thread uh, talking about you know the facial invalidity of recorded documents, rogue remix, uh, you know foreclosure mills being accountable under FDCPA, like last week's show, and then today's post even uh, about the Deutsche lawyers' uh, willingness to uh, lie to the court, so on and so forth. Well, anyway, um, I wanted to point out uh, 
based on this LSF-9 that I've been investigating. When I posted a prior article um, that we talked about on a show not too in the past, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, um, an attorney had followed up with me with an observation regarding the assignment that I posted. Um, and he had actually gone in and did a Google Earth search of the address that was named. Now, to just make a little bit of a clarification on the post for tonight's show, um, the LSF-9 Master Participation Trust is not the uh, was not using the address for the Virgin Island address as I posted in the article. That was actually uh, the trust that was assigning it to uh, U.S. Bank Trust NA for the LSF-9. So just a simple clarification there. Um, but what we had in this assignment is caliber, and I make mention of this, um, executing the assignment as attorney in fact for both sides of the coin here, the signer and the assignee. So Anyhow, the attorney uh, comes up with the observation, and he says, look, this, uh, I did a Google search of this address down on 36 Strand, down in Christiansted in the Virgin Islands, and he comes back with this uh, you know, vacant lot with a bunch of rubble of a building that had collapsed you know, some time ago. And, and um, you know, I, for those of us that have been in this area for a long time or listeners that have been involved in dealing with foreclosure defense or foreclosures of their own, I mean, this probably doesn't come as much as a, of a surprise. Um, and I, you know, point out that in my chair and in my daily uh, uh, investigations that I do, um, this is not unusual by any sorts. I mean, these documents are riddled with all kinds of deception when you really start to uh, put the magnifying glass to them, and you actually go as far as sometimes running the addresses that are there, and you're going to come up with information like this. You're going to see, uh, and I've seen they, these addresses coming back to vacant lots, uh, empty warehouse buildings, um, phone numbers that run and lead to nowhere, uh, all kinds of things like this. And What's happening here, and I and I really I, I I'm starting to sense a shift, um, that these behaviors that obviously the robo signing and the forging and fabricating of documents it's well known, but what we're getting into now, and I'm starting to see this kind of it's it's got a, a a different appearance to it because. Um, we're running into and start. I'm starting to see. I should say uh, a fact pattern here where these documents are are getting so brazen with the fake uh, entities that are being named uh, and, and and the types of things that we're seeing, like I'm pointing out here in this article, and it goes right to the heart of uh, what I think is is happening and what's going to continue to happen, especially now when there's been uh, significant data breaches uh, and uh, data um, uh, hackings and all that sort of thing of people's accounts, uh, whether it's through um, Equifax, the major breach there, or one of the articles Neil posted last week on the data breaches. Um, it's it's a wide open area here now, and it's a, where people are starting to pile on and they're starting to, I believe, they're starting to create all of these, you know, fictitious entities and they're creating these documents and they're running full force in, in, um, in these scams and schemes. And, and what's going to happen, I'm sure you 
you know, would agree with me on this is that when you have such a prolonged period of time where law enforcement is not enforcing any of this stuff and no one is being is, you know, held accountable and going to jail, uh, the card is getting pushed further and further and further off the edge here. And now it's getting to the point where it's, it's just downright ludicrous and silly um, when you're looking at these uh, documents. And, you know, I like to use analogies. And like this article, I talk about, um, you know, this, how it's akin to a fencing operation. And when you look at what is involved in a fencing operation, a lot of the common denominators, it all fits with the hijacking and the uh, stealing of, of land titles. And, you know, this goes to the heart of, you know, the, the creation of MERS, the fact that we have over probably over 100 million titles that are all now fatally defected and clouded, and you can't trace any of these transactions behind the scenes. This is why we're dealing with it, right? Well, one of the analogies I always love to use is uh, from my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, and I've talked about this uh, last year on one of the shows, I mentioned it, but... Uh, you know, the, the character Andy Dufresne and, and uh, Morgan Freeman has read, they're in the library and, and uh, they're talking about how uh, Andy Dufresne for the warden has created this fictitious character to help with the money laundering. And it's, the character's name is Randall Stevens. And he says, you know, and Red says, you know, you can't just make up a person. And, and Dufresne says, well, sure you can if you know how the system works and where the cracks are. It's amazing what you can accomplish by mail. Stevens has a birth certificate, a driver's license, and a social security number. And he says if they ever trace those accounts, they're going to wind up chasing a figment of my imagination. Well, that, that's kind of my role these days as, as the investigator of these cases, is that I am chasing figments of the imagination of these, of these uh, parties who are creating these fake documents and fake names. And... I think we're making some progress uh, in some areas, and I'm going to give you an example, um, especially as it relates to the LSF-9. Uh, yes, dude. Always encouraging. Yeah. Sure, go ahead. Well, as we've talked about on the previous shows, all the inconsistent documents that this entity has produced, uh, one of which is uh, numerous different versions of the, of the trust instrument or the trust agreement, the birth certificate for this thing. Uh, that they submit into these cases as the authority to do everything that they're doing. And the one trust agreement that they've said uh, is the authoritative uh, document uh, to uh, gives them the authority to file the foreclosure and whatnot, and this is a judicial state case, um, it's heavily redacted and it's incomplete, so on and so forth. And so... Our side, the attorney filed a motion to compel, and a hearing was held yesterday to produce this trust agreement uh, in its unredacted form so that we could uh, review. Now, the opposition uh, says straight out to the court that they're, they're not going to produce it, uh, that it's filled with trade secrets, so on and so forth, and uh, they, they, they're going to refuse. Well, Apparently, the court didn't like that response too much and has given them 10 days to show up with this document. First, they have to come up with some sort of a confidentiality agreement um, or they will produce, uh, ordered to produce the 
full document, unredacted, uh, in-camera review. And uh, this, is, this is a very unique uh, or a very important uh, uh, deal here because <clears throat> they know darn well if they produce this document, it's going to have far-reaching effects. And the court, and this is just through my, what I'm told, is that the judge said, listen, if you refuse to bring this in in 10 days, uh, it's very likely that I'm going to strike this as evidence uh, because it's incomplete and I'm not going to allow it uh, as the basis for your authority or whatever, however you're going to tend to use it. So uh, they're on the clock. We've got 10 days, really. Um, to finally see what they're going to do. Um, and this kind of goes to when I'm talking about my analogy of, of uh, this Randall Stevens character. When they create these characters and these characters, these fictions are coming into court filing uh, a, a complaint, for example, or foreclosing and filing non-judicial documents to carry out a trustee sale, for example, what happens now when Randall Stevens is told by the court that they have to, that he has to appear and testify? If these fictitious entities have to come in and and, uh, and speak, okay, and, and and this is kind of where where we're heading here is that clearly that's an impossibility, and clearly they've been getting away with uh, not complying with these court orders, almost in pure contempt. Uh, when told to cough up these documents, when the courts actually press them to do so, again the emperor has no clothes, and they're they're just refusing to do it. So I'll let you I'll let you speak here a sec here, Charles, and tell me what what what, what your thoughts are. Oh, I think that's a good. Uh, again, it it raises that old uh, bugaboo that I bring up uh, repeatedly. Only because it applies, I'd, I'd, I'd love it if I didn't need to talk about it at all. What I'm talking about is institutional bias that you see uh, around, around these entities uh, like a permanent shroud on them. I mean, it's something we can't get away from. And that's a perfect example. I mean, part of, part of the implication of what you're saying, and, and it's, it's, it's a thread – that I see in operation a lot is that a lot of these cases don't even reach the evidentiary contest phase. In other words, through the uh, consistent, particularly in the non-judicial foreclosure world, the, the consistent use of motions to dismiss and demur, and this is when the institutional players are on the defendant side, they are able to successfully use that process in many cases to just kill the case early on. So there isn't even uh, an evidentiary contest that would expose the situation you're talking about. And then when uh, cases do go forward and they do head to trial, this sort of evidentiary examination is and should be required then what often happens is judges will give more time as they have give, given. I mean, the institutional player who's been given more time in this particular case, who who is the entity? What is the entity? What is their name? Well, it's the uh, uh, 
stake entity, U.S. Bank Trust N.A., as the trustee for the LSF-9 MPT, Master Participation Trust. Right. So, in effect, the judge, by giving this extension, which seems like a rap on the knuckles or maybe even a stern warning in the scheme of things, these things are all relative. However, if, 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 the, if the judge is dealing with small fry litigants, or if a judge is dealing with, you know, colloquially speaking, we the borrowers, the small fries in these cases, relatively speaking, then what often happens is we don't even get an opportunity to bring in the evidence or to bring in and correct whatever supposedly is deficient from our side. Sometimes we get the opportunity to, oftentimes we don't. And by providing this continuance, even if it's 10 days, even if it's sometimes well beyond that, of course, especially if it's well beyond that. But even a 10-day time frame will allow for a lot of shenanigans to go on and a lot of documents and evidentiary trails can potentially be created illegitimately, illegally, fraudulently, we're not saying that that's happening in this case, by the way. Uh, we're simply describing, as I I will often provide the disclaimer on this show, and I'll do it now uh, since we're, we're on this point at the moment, which is everything we, we talk about on this show, we're not giving legal advice. We're also not presenting legal facts and conclusions that are not subject to some kind of uh, – a reexamination, we're simply giving, in this case, two men's opinion on topics of the day related to foreclosure. And this the show is always subject to, uh, to correcting the record or being more specific where warranted, you know, about a particular issue, about a particular player, set of facts, that type of thing. Um, so, no, we're not speaking to what this specific player will do or would do in this case. We are saying, though, that in these types of cases, it is a kind of open invitation when judges give these extended time frames for the institutional player, whoever they are, wherever they may be, to come in with new evidence. Now, that 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 new evidence or the confirming evidence Maybe it is valid. Maybe it is unearthed somewhere from uh, a file deep six uh, months ago. Or more realistically, uh, maybe it is made up on the fly with the days and sometimes weeks allowed for the evidence to be presented. And then, of course, this allows the charade to continue. So, and this is one of the fundamental problems in this area, as listeners to this show well know, that there's there's kind of a circus of of fraud and a, and a moving shell game uh, where the institutional players are constantly able to get their way in court, manipulating the system illegitimately. And I, I one of the reasons I love having you on the show, Bill, is you're able to expose this with some great detail and 
kind of show create kind of forensic trails, which of course comes right out of what you do for a living here. Uh, forensic trails showing where the where the craziness is happening and how it's happening. So that's uh, that's one of my takes on kind of what what you're exposing. And uh, I, I think the listeners will be interested to know what else you have to say on the topic. Well, the investigation side of what I do is, is really evolving um, into real traditional type of investigative work. And when I say that, um, for example, you know, many of these names that you see on these documents, like on a note endorsements and things like that from these entities that uh, have long gone away and no longer exist and suddenly they they pop up in uh, you know as as this evidence is created at the last minute to uh, uh, move the chains and and uh, come up with you know these fill the gaps and to fix and cure their deficiencies whatever the case might be um, I'm starting to reach out now to uh, and track down a lot of these people uh, and reach out to them because they're no longer under the uh, veil of these uh, corporations that they once worked to. They're off uh, doing completely other, other things now in their uh, livelihoods. And I'm starting to get a little bit of uh, feedback and some success. Um, you know, one example is... Uh, there was a note with an endorsement with a signature from a gal, and I tracked her down in, in uh, Pennsylvania, and she actually was very useful and provided an affidavit about her background and basically admitting that uh, I wasn't even working there for that entity at that time and uh, so on and so forth, and it was very, very helpful. Um, I'm having success, again, reaching out and starting to go down some of these holes based on the documents, the face of the documents. I'm looking at the numbers and, 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 and tracking this stuff down and documenting what's going on with, with the evidence that presents itself facially. So, for example, I have an assignment that I was looking at a couple of days ago um, from party A to party B. And the entire uh, case uh, was simply party B saying um, the chain of title starts and ends from A to B and, and with us. However, there's a tiny 800 number that's at the bottom of the assignment, and when that number was called, it, it leads to a, an entirely different entity that's never been present anywhere in the servicing or anything of that nature, and uh, suddenly they're um, kind of playing dumb and, and coy and so on and so forth. These, there's clues all over this, uh, over these documents, and... Getting some of these people to, to at least attempting and trying to go down those paths and getting these people to come forward and speak to these documents, I think is very useful in not only destroying the credibility of the documents, but also to um, you know, assist in showing that, that this evidence is, is invalid. And here's why. We have sworn testimony by the, by the person whose name is on here, whose signature is on here as a witness who's disclaiming any knowledge of this, uh, which, uh, you know, now it's up to the attorneys to, to make their arguments as to what that means. But I think the, the use of subpoenas and, a, and, and, and now starting to go after these 
fake entities and everything else the way I'm just describing is a whole other area than just you know, focusing on chain of title and, and the securitization issues and the accounting. I and mean, that's all important. But if you can prove and show that the parties and, and make contact with these parties who are on the documents and they disclaim it, I think that's very powerful. Well, I agree with you. And, you know, you're mentioning the subpoenas. Uh, you know, that's another piece, of course, uh, related to the discovery type legal activity that we talk about on this show as as being important, and it certainly is. It is uh, one of the few tools we have on our side to really ex- ex- explicate and confirm what the other side doesn't have in terms of evidence and give uh, legal heft to, in terms of what they have, how it justifies our position uh, legally being the position that ought to prevail when and if these cases end up going to trial. And of course, uh, you know, as, as, as unfortunately, I also have to, I'm not even reminding listeners, they know this uh, intimately and often better than anyone else. All of this costs money, all of it's expensive uh, the institutional players on the other side do not have more money than God, but they have an ungodly amount of money, and it allows them to use their resource advantage in a very uh, robust way such that the the legal rulings and the court procedure ends up being much more favorable to them typically at our side, whereas on our side, I mean, the discovery and using subpoenas, of course, subpoenas would be used in a discovery process where a non-defendant had a role in the case that was either discovered or in some way unearthed or maybe even just uh, found to have more detail than maybe originally uh, existed. And so a subpoena of that individual, a subpoena in effect, is simply discovery process put to a non-defendant in the case. That's what a subpoena really is. You wouldn't have a subpoena for your defendant because your defendant, you've got the discovery process for. And you can do through a subpoena, oftentimes very similar types of discovery. You can have requests for admissions. You can demand production of documents. You can have them sit for a deposition. These are all possibilities through the subpoena process. And as to who is a defendant or not, uh, when, particularly on the non-judicial side, uh, borrowers are suing the institutional players, um, there's some real practical issues with that because particularly as the years go on with the chain of title analysis and the exposure of so many players in the field of assignments showing so many particular problems, a lot of these entities aren't even subject to service. I mean, they're, they don't exist anymore. They are not available for service through, for instance, the California uh, process 
service system, you know, in terms of being registered for accepting service with the Secretary of State, lots of entities, there's no way that you're going to find that type of service because they're not official legal entities anymore. So there's a real problem in many cases with serving individual uh, players such that such that even adding them as a defendant doesn't necessarily make sense. And uh, Bill's reference to subpoenas is is a way that you could get a non-defendant who still has a principal role in the case. There's a way that you could get evidence related to them into your case. Well, good information uh, as always, Bill, and we will all be back uh, next week. And uh, Russell Baldwin will be with us, uh, Neil and myself, and hopefully we'll have Bill on too, but we will be back next Thursday. And thank you again, Bill. Thanks, Charles. Stay warm. (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.